Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. So you know when we chant like this either together or alone, but together is somewhat more powerful in a certain way. Kind of a space is created, or we become aware of a, a space of some kind, or a feeling, or a, um, you might feel that the room is bigger than it looks. But the problem is that all that space fills up with thought immediately. And we don't have any way of holding on to the space. How do you hold on to space? Right? It just gets filled up with the thoughts that keep coming. So, the names that we're singing are this space, or this, the deeper you go into it, you, it becomes, you could call it a presence or Presence, with a capital P. And um, that Presence is always here. We're not, because we're all thinking all the time, and totally distracted by the outside world, and our senses picking up information, and we react to that information, and then we go take a Valium. or whatever. So, the interesting thing is, you know, do we ever ask ourselves where these thoughts come from? Or do we ever ask ourselves, why do we even believe these thoughts? No, we never wonder why we believe what we think, but we do. We believe what we think. Isn't that crazy? That's really crazy. But we do. We believe everything we think. I feel like shit today. And we believe it. We never say, why? I don't necessarily feel like shit. Maybe I feel like tomato sauce. Or something else. We think that and we just go right into it. The emotions kind of follow very closely upon the thoughts which then we react to, and that reaction are, you could call, in a sense, our emotions. But we never wonder where the thoughts come from. And uh, it 
certainly never occurs to us to wonder whether or not thoughts will ever end. But even though, in the, even in the presence of all this thinking, in the midst of all this thinking, there is this space in which it all happens. Right? It's not happening down the block when you're over here. It's happening over here. It's happening right where you are. And that's always where everything happens, right where we are. It seems to me that it would be nice to have a vote as to how we feel and, and, and what we do with these thoughts. Wouldn't it? I think it would, because I've been depressed my whole goddamn life. And if I had a vote, I would have voted for something else. <laughs> but I didn't have a vote, or at least I didn't think I had a vote. Or maybe some part of me knew that I had a vote, and I was just trying to find the voting booth. But I forgot to register, so they sent me home. And I wouldn't have voted for any of the candidates that I am anyway. <laughs> so, what are we doing? God knows. And she does. She actually does. But we don't. But still, we're doing something. And uh, that's pretty interesting if you think about it. Why are we here? It's a very nice day out. And to get here, we had to go through so much goddamn traffic, it would have been better to stay home. But no. But that's what really all spiritual practice is about, essentially. The first step is beginning to have some vote over how you live in the moment. Usually we're just beaten up by our thoughts and emotions and then we're dead. That's what we call life. And we never have a vote about how we feel. And we're at the mercy of all these thoughts and emotions. And we believe everything we think. Have you noticed that? That's what they call insanity. We believe everything we think. And we never question it. Somebody looks at us cross-eyed and we think they hate us. Then we find that they actually are cross-eyed. <laughs> and meanwhile, we've gone on a like three-day rampage about how miserable that person is to us and why could they look at us that way and they must be saying terrible things behind my back. And what did I ever do to that guy? Yes, maybe I beat him up when we were in, in junior high school, but that was nothing. You know, I was forced to do that. And, you know... And then you find out the guy's cross-eyed. And you spend three days of your life completely sugar. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this without really being... How are we going to get sane? Is that going to ever happen? Is there any possibility that we're going to get sane? Well, when we... Do these chants, for instance, the way I present the practice, which is the way I do it, more, than, more or less, which is you sing, 
And the moment you notice you're not paying attention, you come back. And then you do that again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. If you're paying attention, you'll probably notice you have to do that five million times in the blink of an eye. Because that's what happens. We're incapable of paying attention. So we gather together like this, and we add a little music, and we add these mantras, these names, what they call in India the names of God. Because these names have presence. These are the names. You know, in India they say the name of God. This is the way they talk. The name of God and God are not different. I know this doesn't mean a lot to Westerners. Even me. God. I don't know. What's God? Who's God? Where is she? So, but let's just think about it. They say the name and what is named are not different. Which means if we were actually paying attention and our karmas were ripened enough that we could bring 100% of ourselves to this moment and say and focus on that name, that name would open us up. We would be opened up to, to our own divinity, our own beauty. To, we would experience fully the love that lives within us as who we really are. Not who we think we are. That's just the crazy shit that we believe. But who we really are. We think all the time. We think we are who we think we are. That's insane. But it's okay because everybody around us is doing the same thing. So we feel normal. That's your first clue. If you feel normal, that you're completely insane. So this is just how we approach this. You know... When you meet somebody and you enter into a relationship with them, little by little you find out more about that person. You learn more about that person and you learn more about yourself and you see new things and you find out new things. It's not always, the whole truth is not there at the beginning. Sometimes you get a little taste of it and you run the other way. Sometimes you get a taste of it and you say, oh, I want more of this. So in this case, what what these names really are is beyond what we can understand. They don't come from our mind or our emotions. These names they call revealed names. It means that there's some being uh, introduced this name into the world as a vehicle, as a doorway into truth, into reality. That's what a revealed name is. And so they say that through the repetition of these names, gradually but inevitably, the presence within us is uncovered. Our own true being is uncovered. Not somebody else's being, which ultimately turns out to be the same, but you can't take somebody else's clothes off without getting into a fight, unless it's agreed on, you know. But first we have to take off our stuff, all the stuff we cover ourselves with. All all the stuff we think and believe, all our fears, all our selfishness, all our greed, all all our shame and guilt. The stuff we love so much, you know. We have to take a look at that because that's what's covering us up. But we don't have the strength to do that until 
we do a practice because from a practice you get you move more deeply into yourself and then that stuff is easier to let go of then it becomes possible to let go of that stuff because you're no longer identifying with it immediately or you identify with it but then you kind of go what wait a minute and then you get a vote Maharaji say, go on, sing your lying false Ram Ram. Go on, keep doing it. One of these days, you'll say it right once, and the real Ram will come, and that's it. If we could say wholeheartedly, one time. But it's not just a question of willfully saying, okay, I'm going to say it wholeheartedly. No way. It's a question of really being able to give yourself completely to something, 100%. Because we can't do that. Very difficult to do that for us. We're so fragmented. We're brought up that way. Too many channels on television. So the minute we get slightly bored, we're trained to go somewhere else. Boom, 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 boom. Click, 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 click. So it's... It's a gradual process. Anybody who says enlightenment, full, final enlightenment, is an immediate situation, it's not taking into account the billions of births that it took to get there and train ourselves for that. So we don't, I don't even talk about enlightenment. I don't know what it is. I talk about trying to live in a good way, you know, become a good human being. It's almost impossible. Think about others. You know, if we could do one thing, who was that guy, some little-known saint said, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Just that much. Try one day. Forget it. Try one hour. Just doing that. Being aware of that and trying to spend one hour treating other people at least the way you would like to be treated. You know, you, everybody will love you to death by the end of an hour. You won't believe what happens. But no, no, we, we're so, we, we react. Somebody says something, we react. Somebody does because people are projecting on us and we're projecting on them and our projections have boxing gloves on. And you go like this, you go like this, you left hook, right hook, bam, oh, you know. This is what we do. So, why we need a practice is because otherwise we don't get a vote. We don't get a chance to wake up. Chanting is a, it's a very interesting practice. Um, it has instant benefits, but it also has long-term benefits. Because while we're here singing... Yeah, might be you might be enjoying it, which is allowed. But at the same time, we're also planting seeds. Because every action we do in life is, is plants a seed of some kind or another. And uh, those seeds grow. And then we have to live with, with whatever grows, which is not always a lot of fun. And sometimes it's a lot of fun, and sometimes it's too much fun. <laughs> so, 
that's why the way I present this practice is, is uh, I mean, this practice is taught many different ways by many different people all around the world. Some people um, teach it in a very Indian way because this, the way I, it certainly comes from India, this, this version of practice. But the repetition of the name is in every religious tradition and every spiritual tradition. They may call it something else, but name is, is not just like Frank or Tom or something else. Name is a real bona fide mystery. Um, and they say, through the repetition of these names, gradually but inevitably, the, uh, the inner presence, our inner being is uncovered, right? Which is an interesting concept. They're not telling us that we're creating anything that's not already there. Right? You're not, you're not creating a good person inside of you because you don't like the bad person inside of you. It's not like that. We're uncovering what's already there. And what's already there is is described in many ways. But a very simple way to describe it is basic goodness. Unfortunately, we are all naturally good. (laughs) And I say unfortunately because it means we have absolutely no uh, defense for our negative actions, for hating people, for hating ourselves, for being angry at people, for being greedy, for being selfish, for being ashamed, for having guilt. There's absolutely no good reason for that. Because inside, we are okay. That's a hard one to accept. Which is why in the East, you know, nothing works. The roads don't work, phones don't work, <laughs> televisions don't work, nothing works, but they're happy. <laughs> In the West, everything works, and we are not happy. So, this is interesting. So, these names are the names of that place within us. They're not the names, you could describe those names in many ways. You can describe them as the names of the Hindu deities, right? What the hell does that mean? What are, what are they? What are the Hindu deities? We don't know. Maybe they are a part of ourselves. Maybe they are a manifestation of our own true nature in another form, just like another form. Maybe they're older beings. Maybe they're aliens from another planet, like Brooklyn. Oh. Hey, I'm a Nets fan now. Let's face it. The Knicks are finished. <laughs> so, so through the, they say through the repetition of these names, gradually but inevitably, which is really a very good word. It means inevitably. Right? There's no question about that. It's inevitable, which is good. Since we're usually running in the wrong direction, 
it don't matter. We're going to wind up in the right place, inevitably. But it could be a long inevitable. <laughs> but still, it's going to happen. That's, it's a done deal. If we're born, boom, it's inevitable. That's the way it works. That's the way it is. So what do we do in the meantime, you know? After all, there's only 4,000 channels on television. It gets boring after 10 or 12 years of constant watching. So through the repetition of these names, gradually but inevitably, this inner presence, our own presence, what who we really are is uncovered. Uncovered, right? Little by little, because if it happens too fast, they put you away. <laughs> Which... It might not bother you at that state. <laughs> you might think, wow, this is a great place to practice. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> there was a great, great saint in India in the uh, late 1800s named Tajuddin Maharaj. And he was a, a very, close, very close with Shirdi Sai Baba. He, was, they, he, was, he used to wander around naked all the time. He didn't know what he was doing. And he used to wander around on the... This is the times of the English on the tennis courts in the country clubs of the English, you know, and all those English ladies. So they threw him in a mental hospital, right? And every Saturday or Tuesday or Thursday, whatever the day is that's holy for the, the Muslims in India, thousands of people would come to the mental hospital to see this guy. Finally, they had to let him go, you know. He didn't know where he was. He didn't care he was in a mental hospital, no problem. It wasn't like there was anything else he would have been doing anywhere else. He was just God there. He was God there. He was God everywhere. Made no difference. So that's a nice place to be in. No matter, even if you are in a mental hospital. But, of course, not everybody in mental hospital is in good shape, but he was. So, gradually but inevitably, this inner presence, our own true nature, which is basically inherently good, is uncovered. We aren't, we're uncovering that. This is a very important thing to remember because we're not trying to make something happen. That doesn't last. You get a little hit, and this is great, and then you, then you lose it and you get depressed. Then it's up and down all the time. That's life, up and down, up and down all the time. But in there, it's always what it is. And that's what we're getting in touch with, little by little. And the the more we turn towards that, the more we move towards that, the more, um, the more relaxed our lives get, the more easy it is to deal with difficult situations, unhappy ex- experiences, and the hard stuff that happens. But it's only through doing a practice that that's going to manifest. Period. Sorry. But that's the way it is. It doesn't have to be this practice. It just happens to be what we're doing today. Any practice that you do is good. And it's up to you to find out what you want to do. But do something. For Christ's sake. (laughs) Do something. So, the reason we repeat these names over and over again... It's because it's impossible for us to pay any attention to what we're doing. Impossible. 
So we keep repeating. And gradually, we start to remember that we're actually doing something. And then we start very little, little by little, we start to pay attention to what we're doing. Pull in all the strands of our crazy stuff that's always going on and pay a little bit of attention for a very short period of time. If you try to do too much, you wind up going in the opposite direction for like weeks. I remember once I was driving across country with a friend of mine and we decided, as we were leaving California, we decided we were going to eat macrobiotically going all across, driving across the states, right? So we got, we got to like a, a, a Safeway in, uh, somewhere in the desert, in the Mojave Desert, right? And we went in and we bought rice and lentils and salt, and we made, we made some kitchery, you know, some spices. We made some it was so salty that for the next 4,000 miles, we only drank milkshakes. <laughs> so that's what I mean. If you sit down with too much will, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to sit like, I'm going to... You're just kidding yourself. Do a little bit every day. But every day is really important. Every day. Or at least 364 out of 365. Take a day off, okay? All right, today's the day off. And tomorrow too. So a little bit where you really pay attention, where you're not doing anything else. You actually turn your phone off for five minutes. What could happen? Really. Unless you're a doctor on call at the emergency ward, what could happen in five minutes? Right? Whatever it is. You'll be sitting there wondering about it for five minutes. <laughs> Just notice the wondering, and you'll be doing fine. So, you know, Maharaji, my guru, he never, you know, he it was very. Uh, he didn't tell us what to do. He didn't give us practices to do. He didn't say sit down, watch your breath. He didn't do. He didn't say do ten million mantras. He didn't say do this, do that. You know. He, he led us into the room where love lives. And we tasted what, it re, what love really feels like, what it could be, unconditional love, what that is. And then we ourselves booted ourselves out of the room. And then we had to find a way back in. And so... So many of the people who were with him found different ways to live, doing different things in life. But all those people are very dedicated to living in that loving presence, which is a quality of our own true being. Loving presence. Everything we're looking for outside is really already in there. And we know what it is. But we don't know where to look. Or how to look. How to look is really the question. And you start by paying attention. By slowly pulling yourself back from all this, the crazy shit that goes on in our heads 24-7. Just for a few minutes a day. It's, it'll make a tremendous difference. And then you go live your life and be stupid. It doesn't matter. <laughs> then just a few minutes a day. You'll get After a while you get used to... You start to like that feeling of releasing and just being there. You start to look forward to that. And you begin to notice the stuff in your life that doesn't contribute to that. 
And then you start making choices based on that understanding that, well, you know, this is just going to create more bullshit. And so you do something else. You don't even realize it, but your whole life is starting to change around, around your desire to live in a more relaxed, open way. Mm-hmm. 